Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Tribe production. I'm your host, Peter Finger, producer of the podcast. I've worked on this show for over two years, and it's been a huge influence on my mental health journey. A little over a year ago, I took my own journey into starting therapy, and in honor of Mental Health Month, I'd like to speak to our listeners who might be thinking about starting therapy on their own and answer some frequently asked questions to better guide those starting therapy for the first time. For those listeners who are practicing therapists or folks who are working on the behavioral health space, this show might provide a good resource for new clients or others who you think could benefit from this discussion. My guest today is Dr. Erin Elmore. As you know, Erin is her co-host and licensed clinical psychologist. She specializes in working with children and adolescents and one of our most experienced content experts here at Triad. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's um, fun to be the guest and have you be my interviewer instead of our producer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Usually we're on the other side of the glass here. Yeah. So as we begin, Erin, I'd like to hear your experience as a therapist with clients you've worked with who've entered their first time into therapy. Yeah, I think when I think about this topic, I just want to acknowledge that it takes a lot of courage to be a first-time client in therapy. It takes a lot of courage to even send that email or make the phone call. I mean, often people research for a few weeks or a few days and sit on it. You know, it, it takes a lot to actually reach out. And then on top of that, if you're physically going to see your therapist in person, that takes a whole nother level of gumption just to get in the car and drive there and go. So I think whenever I meet with a first time client, I'm just mindful of they're not at a good space in their life or they wouldn't be reaching out. And on top of that, they're very vulnerable, even asking for help. And I, I think I think that way, mostly just reflecting on my own experience as a first time client, not so much something I'm trained for as a therapist, but mostly experiencing it the other way around. And I just keep that in mind when I meet with new people. I'm also excited to meet with new people. I think, I think maybe this could be helpful for first time client goers, therapy goers yeah. is to know that your therapist may be not nervous in the sense that they don't know what they're doing, but nervous in an anticipatory way. Like they're excited to meet you. They don't know what to expect either. And mm -hmm. so it's not that you're the only one that's a little bit, you know, nervous. You just, nervous. it's two new people meeting. It's always a little bit awkward sometimes or you yeah. know, anticipatory sometimes. So, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy, and I think most therapists enjoy the first meeting because that's where you really get to hear people's stories. And that's what we love is just to hear, you know, what are you going through? What's been going on? Who are you? And, and put together this story. Yeah. 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 And again, kind of latching on to something you said, it is a struggle and it is a hurdle to actually ask for help. You know, in my own experience, even having worked with the podcast for some time and meeting many of our guests who have been incredibly welcoming to working with and helping out new clients, there still is that hurdle. And even just trying to get over your own stubborn attempts to say, look, I can do this on my own, or I'm not worthy of meeting with my therapist there is that whole ego to kind of get over. So yeah, again, I kind of appreciate you kind of putting into the terms like, look, like it is difficult to get in, but there are people that are willing to help and they're excited to meet you. So, you exactly. know, I think if we can kind of, kind of deliver that message, I think that can help kind of put, put some of our listeners in the right mindset. So there have been a lot of different types of therapists that have come out ranging from teletherapy and digital health. Why don't you help name some of those types of therapy? 
Yes. Well, there's the traditional in-person therapy where you meet with someone usually in an office and there's, you know, a couch and a chair and the whole thing you usually see on TV. That's very alive and well. There's also at the advent of teletherapy. I mean, I guess it's been around for a while, but especially the last couple of years with COVID and everything moving online, that has just blown up. So, you know, that's where you meet usually via video that's preferred, but you could be in your own bedroom or in your car or, you know, wherever you can get alone and just log on to not Zoom, but a Zoom-like feature that is private and HIPAA compliant. There's also a lot more apps coming out. We've always had hotlines that people can call if they need something more urgent or immediate. And then, you know, there's other formats besides one-on-one, like we have group therapy. Sometimes you can do dyad therapy, which is like couples therapy or parent and child therapy. So many, many different formats to choose from. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that that's, that's really what's important here is, is that there are a lot of different ways to achieve health. You know, you're talking about in-person, talking about teletherapy. I think the teletherapy option, at least in my case, allowed some distance and more familiarity. Like I think I can talk comfortably with friends that I might not have conversations through messages just because it can be a little bit more anonymous. I do think that that's kind of important. You don't have to just, you know, jump into talking about yourself in front of a stranger face-to-face. There can be some bridges, if you will. What's a better word for that? I'm thinking of scaffolding, but that's more like a clinical term where you, you know, it's like a <laughs> stepping stone where you get there eventually. Um, yeah. and, and I agree with that. I think, I think that's a pro and a con, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. The whole, there's the pros and cons of the whole online therapy format, because yes, it absolutely is less threatening therefore more convenient, less intimidating. And so in some ways it's really useful, like especially I'm thinking of people who suffer from social anxiety disorder. I mean, just showing up or making a phone call is like the whole reason they're coming to therapy. So if we can meet them sooner and so they don't have to do that, that can be helpful. So that's definitely a good thing. And then as a trained clinician, I also see the dangers in it where perhaps it can be too friendly and so mm-hmm. too comfortable, or it's too easy to be distant and hide and not share everything that you need to be sharing. Or I think of it as 2D versus 3D. So the 2D would be online and 3D is really in person. And when you're in person, you can sense more, you can empathize more as clinicians. If, if you're trained this way, you're really trying to feel what's going on in the room and sure. having switched from in-person to teletherapy during COVID, I felt as a clinician, it was harder to help my clients because I was missing the 3D element. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not that either one is good or bad, but I think as a team, as a therapist and a client, those things should be addressed and talked about, you know, and, and the therapist should encourage the client who's on teletherapy. Like, are you sure you're telling me everything you need to know? Or, Hey, would you mind coming in for a couple sessions in person just so we can like work on this topic and then we can go back. So, you know, I, I think of it as, as good and bad. And just, I think you need to assess each individual case. And then maybe that's something that listeners can consider if they're considering going to therapy for the first time is trying to think about, okay, where would I feel more comfortable Right. And, or is this need that I have serious enough that I should challenge myself to do in person? Or do we think online would be okay? And that's something you can ask the therapist yeah. about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is that there are many different ways to get help. The good thing is, is that you can get help and there can yes. be there. That's the most important is that we can encourage people to seek out therapy and working with a therapist. But I do think that there, and in my own experience as well, there are limitations to teletherapy that 
sometimes you just have to kind of push yourself in order to get that more what you're calling moving from 2D to 3D space. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit about ways that people can kind of consider the different spaces, virtual space versus physical space as they think about their therapy. What other questions should people be asking themselves to seek help? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I think the choice of, you know, is is it time to reach out to a therapist? You can ask, you know, how long have I been struggling with this? Whatever it may be. Do do I feel like I need relief from it? Like I just need more support around this topic. I've, like you said earlier, I've exhausted my coping skills and, you know, my friends aren't helping anymore. If you feel like you just need an extra layer of support, that's exactly what therapy is there for. I would also have people consider, are they ready to commit? Because for therapy to work, you do have to commit to it. You have It's a time commitment, a little bit of a financial commitment. You have to commit to self-reflection, to being challenged, making space for insight. So it's not necessarily easy. Like it, it is helpful and you should feel relief, but at the same time, you know, you're working on yourself. So kind of like a workout regimen or changing your diet or something, it takes, it takes some heavy lifting, but there are good rewards for it. I would consider those things. Yeah. You know, commitment sounds kind of scary. Maybe we can name some of those responsibilities that come with being a a good client for your therapist. Mm. What does that look like? When you think about clients that you've worked with and somebody that's making time, that is making time for themselves, that's doing the homework, if you will, what does that look like from a commitment side? Yeah. So I think it may depend on the style of the therapist, right? Mm -hmm. So some therapists, they rely more on like evidence-based practices, which could mean that you're doing some skills-based worksheets or tracking things throughout the week. And, you know, that, that type of homework could be part of it. My style is a little bit more interpersonal. So for me, that might mean think through the week and you're responsible to decide what we're talking about next session, right? So Mm -hmm. bring in something that's relevant to what we're talking about. And so it's on the client to decide what they want to talk about instead of me, you know, fishing every week to decide what's relevant. Definitely showing up as much as they can. I mean, obviously life happens and vacations Mm -hmm. happen and that's okay, but you know, showing up consistently so that the work can actually occur. So I think it depends a little bit on the style, but usually the therapist would explain that if they're a good therapist, they'll explain that in the first session or two to say, Hey, here's my responsibility. And here's your responsibility. Here's what I expect of you. And I think those are some of the things that people who are thinking about starting therapy can kind of reflect on how much time am I willing to commit? Do I want something that's more structured or do I want something that's a little bit more loose? And I think that those are some of those things you can have in mind when you go into that first meeting with your therapist to really figure out whether or not this is going to be a match. I think this is a good way for us to kind of transition this talk into finding a therapist. Again, I'm going to preface this that my first experience with therapy was actually through an online portal. You sign up and you get paired with one of your online therapists who isn't even in the same city. And it was very immediate. And my experience with that was, is that it was a little bit more anonymous. My therapists tend to address everybody that he was working with as kind of a group. And then you would have an opportunity to kind of dive in a little bit deeper individually. Whereas finding somebody that was one-on-one, which I've, I've also done and begun, and that was a lot more personal. So I guess giving a little bit more context Finding a therapist can be easy, but finding a right therapist can be kind of difficult. Yeah. Where do you encourage people to start looking for a therapist? 
Yeah. And I think you're bringing up a good point. There's different tiers or levels essentially to therapy, right? So the one you're describing, that's a little more anonymous. It almost sounds more like mental health coaching where you can sign up to be supported, but you're not doing traditional psychoanalytic therapy. Whereas somebody, if they, you know, they, they're ready to go in hot and heavy and they're like, I've had, you know, mom issues or dad issues for 20 years and I'm ready to get in there. You're probably going to want more one-on-one in depth. So I think Part of it is thinking about what format am I really looking for? And again, you don't have to know everything about that. You can discuss that with your therapist and just try and get some insight. You know, just like if you were trying to find the right specialization for a doctor, you might call your primary care first and say, Hey, where do I find this? You know, so, so start somewhere, but have in mind, are you going to feel more comfortable starting a little bit more anonymously broader? Or are you ready to jump into one-on-one and that can guide where you're searching? I found it most helpful from my online therapist to kind of identify some things and really help me out with some psychoeducation, which then there I was able to kind of move into one-on-one therapy and kind of dive a little bit deeper. I felt that the online portal was really great in just accessing somebody very quickly and even just kind of, you know, having somebody to kind of hold my hand as I learned some of these things and even just get, getting familiar with therapy. But I felt like my commitment when I've been working with my one-on-one therapist, a lot more intentional. And I, you know, I think that that's some of the things that people can kind of consider. I do think that, you know, you're identifying, you know, if you've got something that's really specific that you're trying to address, or, you know, I think one of the ways that really brought me into therapy was like not understanding that I was worthy of therapy. And so mm. I felt like an online portal was a great introduction. And yes. then I just kind of went from there. Yeah. And I know we can talk about this later too, but I know sometimes there's really long wait lists. Like, let's say you find a therapist you really do want to work with, but you have to wait a while, maybe joining an online format where you can get some support in the meantime is not a bad idea at all. And I'm sure a lot of people feel similarly to you. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, <laughs> there's so much imposter syndrome or fears or anxieties about being vulnerable. It just kick in when you're reaching out for a therapist. So right. yeah, I, th- I think those types of things can help narrow your search into what format you're looking for. If you are, you know, therapized enough or aware of psychology enough to also think about what type of treatment you would want. We talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, are you somebody who wants worksheets and practical tips and something more concrete? Or are you somebody who really wants to work on relationships and dynamics and feelings? There's different types of therapists for those types of things. So you can filter your search that way. But I would say, you know, there's so many, so, so many websites for online therapy at this point, but some of the ones that I've heard more often, or I know some of these actually vet their therapists, which is a good idea, is betterhelp.com. There's zencare.co.com.co goodtherapy.org. Are there any that you know of besides those? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also going to throw out ginger.io. They're an online therapist, just similar to uh, better help in that space. And then if you are a parent looking for a therapist for your child, we've had presence learning on our website and they work with uh, both schools and uh, child therapists. Yeah, that's great. That's for great. online so, portals. And honestly, you could probably just Google like online therapy and find so many options. But if right. you can try and find one where they vet their therapist, because sometimes they're a little more focused on making money and they let anyone join. It's it's nice if they they have a process to vet their therapist and make sure they're licensed and right. you know see if you can find one like that. It shouldn't be too hard to find. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. 
Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig-time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. But then if you're thinking, okay, I want to look for an in-person therapist, I'm really ready to, you know, go for it. Usually you can ask people if you're comfortable, ask trusted friends or colleagues or people who are already seeing somebody. Word of mouth is really helpful. You can ask your doctor or your child's pediatrician for a list. If you're part of a church or support group or something of that nature, they often have referral lists that they keep. You can ask for, and then one of my favorite directories is psychologytoday.com. So the therapists have to pay a very small fee to be on there. So it's not an exhaustive list of all the therapists in your area, but there's little bios and videos and you can see what insurance they take. And it's just an easy way to narrow down someone in your area. And then you can also always call your insurance and ask for a list. I would go ahead and look those people up if you're getting a list of insurance, just like you would with a doctor, you know, and see what are their Yelp reviews and do they have an online presence and see who you think you'd feel comfortable with. But You know, those are some ways to get started, I think, looking for someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and one of the nice things about psychology today is is that you can actually filter your therapist by insurance. So if that's something that you want to be doing, I think that that's a good resource just for people to start. Of course, you're going to have to do some follow-up of your own to figure out whether or not your insurance does indeed work with that person. But Psychology Today does have a very comprehensive filtered list, and that does a great job of showing you therapists that will actually work with you. And it's more than just insurances. You're talking about price points. You're talking about modalities. So again, we're kind of talking a little bit about some of the details of searching for a therapist. So we're on psychology today. We're looking for a therapist. What are some of the details of a therapist that you might be looking for and considering if I'm looking for the right therapist? Yeah, great question. Cause not all therapists are created equal. There are unfortunately some of us that are a little kooky or a little out there and, and some that would be like very well trained, but maybe not a good fit with your style. So yeah, this is a very personal choice. So broadly, I would say know that on average, it can take people three or four tries to find a therapist that fits their style and their comfort level. So don't get discouraged if you decide that you like one of these therapists on the directory and you call them and then meet with them and realize, okay, this isn't going to work. Don't stop looking. It's okay. Most of the time you you have to try two or three, but then you're set and, and it's really powerful work. But to further narrow it down, I think considering making sure they're trained specifically in a topic that you're looking for. 
So if, you know, if you're trying to see someone for anxiety, don't go to someone who specializes in bipolar. You know, if you, if you're looking for your child and they're 10, don't go see, you know, someone who specializes working adults or college age adults. So, so make sure the topic lines up with their training. And then also speaking of training, there are different levels of degrees, right? We have master's level therapists, doctorate level therapists, and people are always like, well, which one do I pick? So I can do a little breakdown of the differences. So licensed master's level therapists are usually a little less expensive. If you go see someone with a doctorate, you're going to be paying a little bit more for their extra training. Typically licensed master's therapists focus more on the skills-based evidence-based practices type of treatment. And so this is where you may get more coping skills to practice or worksheets to take home. Now that is not always true. Some of my favorite therapists are very interpersonal and master's level. So some of it is the style, but just the training background is a little bit more practical like that, I would say. Whereas with a doctorate, we have training for that in addition to dealing with complex cases or more severe cases or chronic problems, more systemic problems. So there's just a different extra layer of different styles that you could get working with a doctorate. But ultimately the research shows what really matters isn't so much the training of the person, as long as it's qualified training, as much as the rapport that you have with that therapist. So I'm not saying don't go see a master's. <laughs> in fact, sometimes they're better than doctors because as a doctor, we have too much science in our head and we're not as personal. So you really, you're looking for someone that you're comfortable with, but just know, depending on how severe the topic is or how stress you are about what you're looking for. By the time someone's licensed as a doctor, they usually have about twice as many clinical hours and twice as many years of classes as someone with a master's. And then you may see this thing where there's somebody who's unlicensed and you can see the unlicensed person and you may wonder what that means. So usually that means that somebody is working towards their hours for licensure and they will always be supervised by a licensed person, whether that's a psychologist or an MFT or what have you. So that is the least expensive option because they're not licensed. You can see them for less money. And this may be a really good fit for mild or sometimes moderate needs, but you do want to make sure that their supervisor who's overseeing everything specializes in your area of concern because they'll meet with their supervisor at least once a week for an hour to discuss all of their cases. And so they're getting support from someone who's licensed, but you may or may not ever actually meet that supervisor. Right. That's very helpful. I really think that that does a really good way of breaking down the different types of licenses and some of the education that's behind it. And really, as you kind of assess your needs for your therapist, kind of keeping an eye on their degree, how much schooling that they've got, you do think that that has some weight into choosing the right therapist. Some, yeah, I think it depends on, and it's hard as the client to know, right? But usually, usually if you consult or maybe, you know, go in for that first meeting, you can ask them like, how comfortable are you treating X, Y, and Z, whatever your concern is. But yeah, and and again, that's a great question to have in your back pocket as you're meeting these people for the first time. How comfortable are you to treating X, Y, and Z? Again, I think that's a really good way of just kind of assessing and meeting with your therapist for the first time. So going even beyond just understanding education, what are some of the other details that you might suggest folks looking into when viewing their therapist? Yeah. So a lot of thoughts here. So, you know, there's some practical concerns, like you want to make sure that therapist has availability. Like, let's say you can only do evenings. Well, if they're full on evenings, 
go ahead and just move on to the next one. You don't want to be waiting for three months to start therapy. We already, you know, talked about insurance and things like that. We're talking about their education, but I would also go ahead and take one extra step and make sure that their license is in good standing. You want to make sure that even though they have their license, there's no complaints out against them. So if it's a master's level, you would go to the board of behavioral sciences that's called the BBS. You could Google it. If it's a psychologist, you would go to the board of psychology and there should be a link on both of those websites for license verification or verification of license. And you just type in their license number and their name, and it'll show you if they're in good standing or if their license has expired, which is a problem. So I would check that also go ahead and ask about their treatment plan and approach. If they cannot answer that question, that's a huge red flag. Also ask, when are you going to know that I'm done? When are you going to know that I've graduated and met my goals? And if they can't answer that, that's a problem too, because then you're just going to be in therapy forever. You could also ask if they consult with other therapists. Normally that can seem concerning as a client, but that that's actually done anonymously. So none of your personal information or anything identifying would be shared but it just means they're not making decisions in a vacuum. They're consulting with other licensed people to try and give you the best care. That's a good sign. We also, we already talked about making sure they're a good fit as far as your comfort level and your, your need compared to their training. But I would just say, go ahead and trust your gut. Like if everything lines up on paper, but you meet with them and you think, I just can't talk to this person, go ahead and move on. That's okay. There's going to be somebody you can talk to. So yeah, I have a little list of red flags that I put together. Some of these. Yeah, share with us. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here's some red us. flags. So you should not see this therapist. Like I said, if they can't explain what their plan is for you, their treatment plan, or if you guys can't agree on the goal for why you're there, that's, you know, you're not going to be getting much done. If they talk about themselves a lot, I've heard horror stories from friends or colleagues where they go see a therapist and in the first session, they learned that their therapist was divorced and you know, the kids were in a custody battle. And it's like, it's just so unnecessary. They should not be talking about themselves. If they talk about their other clients in session with you, even if they're not mentioning the client's name, if they're constantly referencing their client's concerns and their conversations, that's concerning. If they give advice too readily, I think sometimes we imagine like the TV therapist that we see who's just giving advice and guiding, but really they should be helping you decide what you think about things. And, you know, rarely would they give advice, but usually once they know you very well, sometimes they might do that. If you leave and you feel like they're critical or you feel like you weren't heard, that's a problem. Sometimes if they're too empathetic, we obviously want a therapist who's empathic, but if they are seeming to be overwhelmed by your problems or cry a lot when you cry, or it feels like they can't contain what you're bringing in, you'll end up taking care of them. And that is not the point of therapy. You can even ask your therapist too, like, have you ever had your own therapy? It may seem weird to ask that, but most people in the mental health field have. It's okay if they haven't, but the way they respond to that can tell you a lot. You know, if they think like, oh no, I would never do that. Okay. That's a red flag. But if, you know, they just haven't happened to have needed it yet, that's okay too. Their attitude towards getting their own work done is going to be helpful. And lastly, I mean, there's probably more, but lastly, I thought, (laughs) If they often cancel or if they often show up late or if they're always like gone on vacation, if you can't rely on them, I mean, granted therapists have lives too and get sick too, and that's okay, but they should be communicating that with you a little bit ahead of time if they can, if it's consistently them not showing up, that's a problem. Right, right. What you're trying to say is, is that 
It's not necessarily that therapy is not going to work if any of these red flags are popping up. It's simply that this therapist is not the right fit for you. Yes. Um, and I, and I want to be kind, like the burnout is real in this field. And sometimes people mean well, but take on too many clients and that can lead to any of these things. It's not usually that the person is malicious or, you know, trying to mess with you. It's probably just that they needs to, to restructure or do some self-evaluation, but you know, this is your money, your time, you're in a vulnerable place. You want to find someone who's in a good spot to help you. Right. Right. And, and I want to ask you, like, is there a comfortable timeline for me to kind of assess this? I don't have to necessarily make these decisions after the first meeting. First impressions are very real, but I think that there is a honest length of time that you can give a person to really feel out the relationship for you to really understand this is not going to work. What would you recommend, Erin? I would think probably one to three sessions. Some people just know right away, but you're right. It's it's almost like dating, trying to find a therapist. Mm -hmm. You're trying to feel out, okay, you know, if there's nerves on the first session, you're trying to explain your whole life story. So sometimes you don't get a good feel in the first session, but you know, if by the third session, you're still not feeling any, any relief at all, or any comfort speaking with this person, or some of these red flags have already come up, I would say, go ahead and move on. Yeah. Yeah. That that's great. Pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion in our next episode. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Aaron Elmore for coming on to our show today. If you're seeking a therapist, but in crisis, please text the crisis text line by texting the word home, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 and connect with a crisis counselor. For more information about finding a one-on-one -on -one therapist, we recommend visiting psychologytoday.com, goodtherapy.com, or findatherapist.com. For resources for an online therapist, we recommend betterhelp.com, zencare.co, goodtherapy.org, ginger.io, or for those seeking a child therapist, please visit presencelearning.com. And lastly, for more information on mental health and self-help you can do yourself, please visit apa.org, psychologytools.com, or browse our entire archive of previous episodes of this show by visiting tryathq.com bht. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.